Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nesting, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring Fantasy Flight Games' Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we're going to conclude our dive into the investigators that have been released class by class so far. For our fifth and final episode in this series, we'll talk about none other than the survivors of Arkham. It's all that's left, so we gotta do it. Here it is. (laughs) Guys... Also, we reached episode 50. Yay, we're here. That's like halfway to 100. That's got to be statistically significant in some way, right? Not really. I mean, base 10 is nothing special in particular. There's no real reason to be excited about numbers that are multiples of 10. Oh, all right. But you know what is cool? <laughs> Survivors are cool. <laughs> I So I wanted to mention Survivors for me are are my favorite class thematically. Because they don't really have a theme, like Guardians are like the Protectors, Mystics are like the Warlocky kind of class. They just are like the odd ones out, generally. I think Matt put it really early on when he was actually talking about the corset, that they're like the protagonists in the horror movie. And that painted like the perfect picture for me of the dumb luck that they, that's like running theme through them and everything. So I just enjoy that a lot. Yeah, it's neat. It's like, uh, they're just like the random... Uh, everyday person that gets pulled into nonsense and just, you know, is trying to survive. Yeah, I think it's also, uh, mechanically, they kind of vary a lot. Like, it, it's kind of been established by now that each of the other four classes is kind of associated with one particular, like, stat or ability out of the four, and survivors are kind of floating. Like, they kind of have things that involve all of them. And also, you know, we've seen kind of a higher than average number of survivors that have the kind of like weird deck building or like weird mechanics like Calvin and Patrice. So there's a lot of like interesting mechanics going on. Yeah, I feel like survivors are constantly looking over the other investigators' classes' shoulders and being like, hmm, be a shame if you failed this test, (laughs) holding all their fail things, options in hand. Yeah. But anyways, for this series, we generally try to confront five questions. Dan, what are those questions? Yeah, we, we, we try to answer five questions for each of these. Uh, what is their greatest strength? What is their greatest flaw? What kind of role can they play in a group or on their own? Uh, what are some of their favorite cards? And lastly, uh, what movie would they star? And if there was a movie adaptation of uh, this particular investigator's life or kind of scenario, what might it be? So I guess uh, let's just jump right into the very first uh, survivor in the game, Wendy Adams from The Corset. So Wendy has uh, four willpower and agility, which is pretty cool, and then three intellect and one combat. Her special ability, which is really neat, is once per test, after she reveals a cast token, she can discard a card in order to put the cast token back and draw a new one. So she gets like a do-over on tests at the cost of discarding a card. And her deck building is all survivor cards and rogue cards up to level two. Her unique item is an unexpected courage that has alternate (laughs) art on it, which is pretty neat. Um, It takes up the amulet slot if you ever use it, but uh, you really don't. And her weakness is abandoned and alone, which uh, removes your discard pile from the game and deals two direct horror to you. I forgot Dan refuses to try to use Wendy's amulet. Whatever he plays Wendy, but that's like a uh, a huge a huge style of deck you could do with Wendy's uh, recurring events true. and stuff. 
<laughs> like, I yeah, I mean, uh, if your entire style of deck is based around having to play a card that you have one copy of in your deck, that seems not super good to me. But no, I mean, it it can be it can be fun. Like I've I think I've definitely used it sometimes, and it's been cool. It, what it, what it actually does is it lets you basically play events out of your discard pile. You can play the topmost event out of your discard pile, but every time you play an event, you shuffle it back in your deck. So did you put it in the bottom of your deck? Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, you put it on the bottom of your deck. So Wendy, Wendy is uh, my my personal favorite survivor. I play Wendy a lot. Um, I really like Wendy. Her greatest strength, I really just think um, her ability is just really, really good. It's like having a built-in sort of like a lucky or something where like, oh, no, I drew the tentacles. I drew autofill. Well, you know, I can just discard a card and draw another one. So it lets you do a lot of tests where you're maybe only up by two or something. You're not guaranteed to pass. And you can say, well, if I draw a bad token, I can just redraw. It's also... Um, she plays really well with, you know, discarding a card obviously is a, is a cost, but you can play cards that kind of want to be discarded. So it kind of reduces that cost a little bit. And another great strength for Wendy, I think, is that just having four willpower and four agility means that she's very resilient to the encounter deck. Like she's just very kind of self-sufficient in that way. So and you can crank that up even higher by playing like Moonstone and Peter Sylvester and you can just be, you know, almost immune to like treacheries from the encounter deck, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think. Survivors are just kind of generally built to be resilient to encounter cards. They have like the best defensive stats, I think, generally. Like they have, like Wendy, for example, four willpower, four agility. Not a lot is going to get past that in terms of like treacheries. And her ability is the best ability in the game, right? Like objectively, like if any other investigator could do that, they would just be absolutely bonkers. It's, it's definitely up there. It's incredibly good. Yeah. Like her horror and health values or her sanity and her health value rather are just solid seven and seven yeah you don't have to worry about things for a while i uh i also think that having access to level two rogue cards is a pretty big strength for her as well because uh there's kind of a lot of like overlap and good interactions between the survivor and rogue card pools and in particular if you're trying to do like an agility based deck that is split pretty heavily between uh survivors and rogues you have cards like winging it but then you also have cards like pickpocketing so it's really like Wendy being able to use some of the the good uh you know rogue cards up to level two is actually a really huge thing. Yeah, I guess another unofficial strength for Wendy is that her theme can be so so wonky and so hilarious. Like having a small favors in any Wendy deck is just hilarious. Like <laughs> her being like mob boss and hiring people to kill things for her is just a great image. I really like it a lot. <laughs> no one no one ever expects the cute orphan is actually the uh, you know, the the one pulling the strings with the Obanian ah, game. <laughs> exactly. Any other uh, any other strengths for Wendy? She's great. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy is great. Uh I think so weaknesses for Wendy, I think that her weakness is really bad. It's mostly just if it's like a corset weakness where it feels like unnecessarily nasty compared to some of the later ones, like it does two direct horror, which is kind of relevant in addition to removing all of your cards. It's also, like, if you find it at the beginning of the game, it doesn't really do much, because it probably only removes a couple of cards. But if you get it late, and it removes, like, pretty much your entire discard right when you were about to shuffle your deck, I've had that happen, where it's like, oh, I have, like, three cards left in my discard pile, and I'm in, <laughs> I'm in real danger of, like, dying from, like, repeatedly taking horror from reshuffling if I don't, oh, yeah. you know, resign or something. So it, it doesn't happen that often, but it's just, it's irritating that it can, like, really ruin your day. Even secondhand, it's horrifying. Her weakness is definitely rough. Uh, other weaknesses, like, she has uh, combat of ones, uh, which is, I mean, she can't really fight anything, even with survivor weapons. That's not a weakness at all. That's as a, as a level zero deck. I mean, she can, she's good at investigating a baseline, but not, 
not really fighting stuff. I don't know. Yeah, she can like supplement with waylay and all of the rogue things that use agility, backstabs, or ornate bow or something. Yeah, exactly. But that that's not like sustainable in a way, just because they generally are really high cost for what they need to do. So it's not really playing. Your just flashing too. back to when like I played corset windy when we like first got the game and i had to use like a baseball bat and couldn't understand how she was supposed to kill yeah, that's, anything <laughs> that's definitely not great gone other days yeah and i mean I, I guess it's also worth mentioning as a weakness that i mean you are kind of right that like she does rely on cards to do pretty much everything like she can't just natively like you know get in the game and immediately start getting clues or fighting things or dealing with enemies she does rely on cards to do it which is the case for a lot of hybrid characters but you know, I think that's, you can kind of deal with that. Um, in terms of roles that she can play, so I've never actually tried playing Wendy solo. I assume she's at least decent at it, maybe? Yeah, her defensive stats are good enough to the point where if there's just a treachery card, you're not scared of it whatsoever. And then if there's a, a monster or enemy, you can just dodge it or use one of those like one-time murderer thing kind of things like small favor or, you know, pretty much anything to deal with it uh, quickly. Yeah. And I've, I've had a lot of luck in groups. I've, you know, a, a lot of times you have kind of like one primary enemy handler, one primary clue getter, and then you have maybe a couple of like floating flexible characters. And Wendy, I think, is quite good in those roles because she doesn't really need help from anybody. She doesn't need like, come save me from this enemy. I'll just evade it. She doesn't need like, come handle this will treachery for me because I'll just, you know, pass it. And she can she can get enough clues with things like winging it and uh, intel report or whatever, and she can deal with enemies using like the bow if she's playing that or like uh, you know waylay and stuff. That she's just she can do whatever the group needs at a given moment. Yeah, exactly. And I think like even even for solo, like her ability just carries her so far because on those huge enemies that get really scary, like for example the ghoul priest or something, where you really need this backstab to land. If you pull an auto fail, you just put it back in the bag and get to draw again. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It's it really is. Yeah, it, it feels a little bit like having a grotesque statue out all the time that like never runs yeah. out of charges. Yeah, that's similar. So cards that Wendy really likes, um, I think that you can make good use of the kind of like agility evasion package. Like you can use pickpocketing and cigarette case and the tarot card and Peter Sylvester, etc. And like have you know evade stuff and get cards from it. Yeah. She has a lot of events to get clues. Like, look what I found. Uh, Intel report. Winging it is really good for her. Uh, Really just cards that want to be discarded. Like, cards like winging it that you play from your discard pile. Moonstone. Cards like Moonstone that you play by discarding them. Moonstone's great for her. There's really a lot. And, like, Relic Hunter, because you probably want, like, Moonstone and maybe, like, Cigarette Case or Rabbit's Foot. Those Those are all really good. Um, I also usually like, you know, other decks, maybe you play like one copy of the, of a tarot card. Wendy, I usually play two of the agility one, because if you end up drawing it later, you can just throw it away, pay for her ability. So it's like, not, yeah, exactly. it's not as much of a downside. Yeah. I mean, otherwise general survivor goodness, drawing thin and track shoes, just ridiculous interactions there with just getting free money and cards like all the time. And with Peter Sylvester, her best friend, Boost it, bolstering her stats even more than just Moonstones. Right. She's she's like an impenetrable. Yeah. <laughs> she really is. And I actually, I usually don't actually play fail package cards in Wendy, although you certainly can and it is good. But yeah, you, yeah. You, she has a lot of flexibility. She can either use them or not use them. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think more than maybe some other survivors, she's prone to doing kind of janky builds that rely on like recurring stuff. Uh, if you use her amulet, 
Uh, like I know there's there's like the versatile permutation Wendy that relies on like recurring <laughs> oh that's uh, permutation right. for every single test or, or sub dot sets. Yeah, but there's other wacky stuff you can do with your amulet that are a little more on the level and don't require to you to put the weakness of versatile in your deck. So right, and you could do bow Wendy too and like use haste and stuff if you wanna if you wanna do all the fight stuff. Oh my god, she has haste. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, that's... Oh my god. <laughs> that's the tricky choice that I often find I have to make with Wendy, is do you go for bow or lockpicks? Because you don't really have enough hand slots to use both, and yeah. it feels like that's a pretty big decision of which of those you're going to take. Yeah. So uh, what what movie have you guys selected? Oh yeah, uh, I think for this one, I was thinking The Rescuers, the 70s animated Disney movie about a couple of mice that try to rescue a young orphan girl who has been kidnapped. Have you guys seen that movie? Oh, is that what that's about? No, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I want to strongly recommend this movie. It's pretty great. Disney in that era was not exactly like cranking out classics, but uh, The Rescuers holds up, has some really cool 70s music, uh, some cool animation. Uh, it's it's pretty good. I like it a lot. Nice. Sounds pretty all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very thematic for Wendy. All right, well, let's move on to the next uh, investigator, who is Ashcan Pete, the Drifter. Ashcan... What do you mean, Duke? Uh, no, well... Duke is Duke is his main feature. I, I assume, looking at his art and his and his text, that his mechanics are heavily themed around the guitar that he's holding. I assume that he's like a musical <laughs> guy who, like, you know, plays the guitar to get clues or something. Is that how Ashcan Pete works? Uh, he's a bard. It's close. If you look in the picture on the on his left hand side, there, there's like a brown lump. It's actually a dog. <laughs> Uh, oh, I thought that was a I thought that was a trash bag. <laughs> that, oh no, you're right. That is a dog. Interesting. Yeah, uh, and Dane Dane is confused because Duke is of course an investigator. I think in Barkham Horror, which is not out yet. Uh, but, oh, that's right. But, uh, technically, he's that. not an investigator in in Arkham of the Guard game yet. Uh, he's actually just an asset right now. Um, so yeah, Ashcan Pete. Uh, his main he's you know, high will, uh, medium as other stats. He starts with Duke in play, which is his signature card. Um, and he can free trigger discard a card from his hand to ready an asset he controls. His deck building is uh, all survivor, all neutral, and then five cards from any other uh, five level zero cards from any other class, just like the other Dunwich investigators. And then uh, Duke is his loyal hound. Uh, so Duke's an asset starts in play. He has uh, two actions on him: one for fighting uh, with a higher base skill that does extra damage, and one for investigating that lets you move to acting location first if you want. And then his weakness is racked by nightmares, which. Uh, just two actions to get rid of. Prevents stuff from readying during upkeep, which can be annoying. Uh, especially if you rely on Duke. So, um, yeah, Ashkan is, uh, he's strong in that, like, you can think about his stats being, like, 4-4-4-3, four, 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 sort of. Because uh, he always has Duke out, and he can always use Duke to fight and investigate at a higher baseline. Uh, plus, uh, his, both of those Duke actions are uh, very efficient. Because the fight does plus one damage like most weapons would. And investigate lets you move first if you want, so there's a lot of action compression there. So he kind of can get out of the gate going pretty fast without needing any other cards necessarily down in the field. Just whatever's in his hand, he can use to boost himself, which I think definitely makes him like a stronger candidate for solo, uh, just because he can hit the wrong running without having to waste time setting up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if not the strongest, right? He's definitely up there for solo. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the kind of like the basic deal that you're getting with Ashkin Pete is that you're trading off kind of like long-term efficiency and power for like immediate start right at the beginning of the game. You kind of have like a little mini, you know, setup going right from the start just with your, with your dog. Yeah, um, which definitely, definitely has its strong points. 
Yeah, and other strengths is he can be a little versatile in that he has access to level zero cards from other classes, which is the strength of all the damage investigators, so he can select cards from other classes to boost himself. Like, he can get wards if he wants, uh, he can get money cards, or he can get magnifying glasses if he wants to be investigation-focused, which, of course, Duke can hold the magnifying glass while he benefits from it, which is always very funny. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's like, solid overall. I think he's, in multiplayer, he's not as strong just because he you don't need that initial ramp up as quickly in multiplayer like everyone usually has like a turn they can set up and then everyone can get going yeah i mean more than that like in terms of weaknesses i think that when i think about like a hybrid character in multiplayer who can both get clues and deal with enemies usually it's not like i want to do you know one of those things once in a turn like it's either i want to spend my turn killing this monster or i want to spend this whole turn getting a whole bunch of clues right and Ashcan can kind of do, like, one thing fairly well every turn, because he only gets to use Duke once per turn. Or twice. Yeah, well, yeah, or, I mean, if he can keep readying Duke by discarding cards, then he's kind of okay, but, like, it might be hard for him to have enough card draw options to really keep that flowing. Like, sure, yeah. maybe with the fail package, he could possibly get enough cards to, like, keep using Duke a bunch of times, but that would be, I think, a little bit challenging to set up. I mean, you could fail package, or you can go out of class if you want. So you could pick up Lucky Cigar Case if you wanted. Though it might be hard for, harder for him to pass by two consistently. Yeah, I think that's true. But he's also very prone to he's prone to encounter cards that like target your allies directly. Because if Duke if Duke gets taken off the board, that's very bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's becomes very useless without Duke. And I think I think most of the last few campaigns have had at least one encounter card somewhere along the line that's like either do this or deal five damage to an ally you control or something like for yeah forgotten yeah. age had one of those i think uh circle undone had one of those or like you know t- take this damage but you're forced to put it on an ally before you can put it on yourself exactly. or something yeah, yeah. crypt chill always a scary thing so. merging realities and dream eaters the thing that like blinks one of your cards <laughs> if you should lay card out oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i mean he can he can maybe pass those tests in a lot of cases but it's yeah it's just something you got to be aware of just a little scary obviously dunwich is notorious for uh having a card that can kill duke for the rest of the campaign <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah i think it's funny when that happens uh you monster we've already kind of talked about this but in terms of the role he can play yeah i mean i think it would be really hard to go all in with Ashcan on like either fighting or clues i guess you probably could but it, it seems like Usually with him, you're going kind of like a jack of all trades, and that works a lot just based on the way that he's set up. That works pretty well in solo and significantly worse in a group. Is that right? Yeah, so I think that what you said is kind of true, but also there there is sort of a weakness in that Ashcan Pete's potential is only so, so high, if that makes sense, because mystics are kind of known as the other sort of jack of all trades. They can play spells that will allow them to pick up clues or deal a lot of damage to things similar to like or on the level of guardians but at a cost whereas ashcan can do both of these things well but not great you know like he can he'll get to a four or a five pretty commonly and then when later in the scenario when bigger things scarier things are coming out he might kind of fall off because he doesn't really have access to a lot of like better weapons like guardians or he doesn't really have a lot of access to like really good seeking things like seekers do. Um, I think that the 
the Dunwich Five, the the five that he can include in his deck, can do a lot of work for him. He can kind of tech into deductions or tech into like vicious blows and things to help a certain aspect. But he kind of falls short in some of those ways. I think that other other classes can push forward and and uh, achieve better than him. So for that reason, as a role, he's he's more of like a hot foot kind of get on your feet and go fast before horrible things start happening. Yeah, I mean, that that's a good point, Dane. It's kind of like comparing him to, like, Mystics. Imagine playing a Mystic where, like, you start with a Sixth Sense and a Shriveling uh, on the board, but you have to discard cards if you want to use them more than once per turn, and you don't get to use the same stat for both. You have to continue to care about both stats instead of just, like, using willpower for everything the way Mystics do. Yeah, exactly. Some of Ashcan Pete's favorite cards? Any any things? I mean, I guess, like Wendy, because his ability, you also pay for it by discarding cards, things like Winging It and uh, Moonstone, car- the cards that benefit from being discarded are also good for him. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I think he likes the fail package um, for when he's not using Duke, so that you can, like, you know, look what I found clues um, off, uh, off location or whatever uh, and benefit from it. Uh, I was trying to figure out if he likes Yuka Catastrophe or not. I think he maybe maybe he does. He can't recur it as much as other characters, but it's a way to ready Duke. Any cards that help him like ready Duke so he can use Duke multiple times without having to discard a card are also good. Like Inspiring Presence as an off class might be alright. Is that the is that the Guardian skill that's like uh it is, if you yeah. succeed okay, yeah, I was gonna ask about that. Yeah. I feel like there's other stuff that lets you ready things, but I can't. I didn't write any of them down, and I've forgotten them all. So <laughs> there's not a whole lot of it. Like I know there's that one guardian skill card, but I don't think there's honestly too many other options. I think there's a couple other things, but yeah. One thing that I that was discovered a while ago, I think it was in Carcosa Forgotten Age, kind of when those were coming out. There was a build that focused around Ashcan getting to the desperate cards, including all the desperate cards. Oh yeah, getting Yaudel in your deck. One huge linchpin of that deck was St. Hubert's Key. That's the way that I like to play Ashkan when I do play him, because his stats can get obscenely high with those desperate cards. And you can discard cards from your hand to set them on top of the deck. So for that reason, St. Hubert's Key is is one of my favorite picks for him, uh, because he has he just happens to have five sanity. So once you equip the St. Hubert's Key, you're immediately down to three sanity, which is immediately turns that on, turns Meek Cleaver on in case you're in that boat too, so... Gives him some versatility and maybe shores up for some of those later game, later scenario weaknesses that that we were talking about earlier. That is pretty cool. It's definitely a fun build. Yeah, because yeah, you could you could do something similar in Wendy, but I guess the issue would be that she has higher sanity and can't take the key of uh, the Saint Hubert's key, so it'd be harder to get the desperate cards online. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing that I was actually thinking about when you mentioned that you don't really have a way to refill your hand, nothing left to lose might be a good include because he can actually feasibly get down to uh, zero cards in hand and then pop uh, one of those off and be at five five cards again in hand. Maybe you're doing something with Dark Horse or have low money anyway because you're a survivor, so you can get the max benefit out of that. Yeah, I think Dark Horse is a pretty popular pick with him as well, especially in solo. Yeah. Yeah, you could just go full on Madame LeBranche, Dark Horse, like I have no cards and no money, but uh, I have this dog. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, I rewatched Point... <laughs> this isn't the movie we're going to pick for him, but I rewatched Point Break last weekend, and I forgot that there's a part of that movie where a human throws a dog at another human as like a weapon. <laughs> so that could be uh, something to keep in mind as an option for Ashcan Pete if he's ever in really dire straits. It's just Chuck Duke at somebody. Ashcan Pete, uh, he's, not, he's not a weapon, so you can't act desperation him, unfortunately. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I was thinking about that. Yeah, so what, what movie did we pick? Uh, yeah, what, what did, I haven't seen this movie, Dane. What, what's the movie that we picked for Ashcan Pete? So we picked a movie called I Am Legend, uh, which is based off of a book called I Am Legend. 
It's a movie starring Will Smith. The premise of the movie is that they found a cure for cancer and the world was going to be fantastic and uh, nations were going to stop warring and things. And then they found out that the cure for cancer became like a serious, like virulent thing that changes you into like a super vampire that's like horrifying and, and murders everything in sight kind of a deal, except for their own, of course. And uh, Will Smith becomes, uh, is like a scientist who is trying to develop a cure for this, but also has a dog and is trying to show up and and find people who are survivors, just like him. So in a lot of ways, he and Duke, their lore is that Ashcan has like visions where he find he sees somebody in trouble or something, and he'll be there in time to save them. That's kind of how hmm. I Am Legend works. It's a really cool movie. Even better book. Read it. Watch it. You thought really hard about this. I assumed we picked I Am Legend because it's about Will Smith, and Will Smith is a guy with a dog, and he's trying to surviving like a basically zombie apocalypse type scenario. That was my thought as well. There's a little bit more to that, yeah, exactly. than that, but uh, TLDR. <laughs> that's that's basically what it is. I uh, I also just want to I just want to throw this out there. The idea that the the thing that finally like brings on the apocalypse is that we found a cure for cancer, and then it turned out there was like a problem with it is hilariously optimistic. Like, <laughs> like we're it really it really seems like we're not going to get anywhere even near that cure for cancer before <laughs> all dying from some much stupider reason so it's something to look forward to 2020 whoever finds this in an archive a very long time ago or whatever species you may be know that ashcan pete i am legend that's our call for the movie great you want to move on to the next guy yeah so the next investigator is william yorick the grave digger our Carcosa friend. So William Yorick has an ability where after you feed an enemy, you can put an asset from your discard pile into play, uh, paying its cost. He has a pretty normal stat line for a survivor, strong on the defensive stats, sort of, but he has a subclass for Guardian. So Guardian cards level 0 to 2, survivor 0 to 5. And that allows him to use his 4 combat to sort of be a main fighter in a uh, group. He has a signature card called bury them deep he can essentially play it when you defeat a non-elite enemy and it goes straight into the victory display for a victory point which is great everybody loves it when when he does that and his weakness kind of goes in tandem with with bury them deep they're graveyard ghouls uh they're just a kind of annoying enemy with three health that hunt him and don't allow him to use his ability so william yorick is kind of an interesting pick his strengths come from his ability to use some things that other investigators might not get great mileage out of. Things like a cherished keepsake, leather coat, knife even. These things that are discarded fairly easily. Things that are trash. Exactly. He's really good at using trash. He has he proficiency with trash. digs through the trash and gets it back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, by the way, there was a tra- trash runner in Netrunner, the card game. And he was very fun and great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so William works pretty neat. Uh, he's like a more straightforward invest- a survivor to play, I think, because he's like, oh, I can focus on fighting. I feel like that's pretty easy to build around. He's like the one the one person here, or at least the one we've talked about so far, that is kind of like pointing heavily at one side of the like clues versus enemies spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and he can definitely be good at fighting because he has that 0-2 to two guardian access, so he can get actual weapons that you know boost his combat uh, and you can get other uh cards from guardian that help boost combat or boost damage um which can be pretty great and he can also do uh nonsense with discarding stuff like he can use acts of desperation to like throw away his empty gun put it in his discard pile and then uh play it again after he kills the enemy 
That's right, yeah, because he gets the resources back. Yeah, and he's also like what's kind of fun about him is like when he he can he's more I'm more likely to commit assets from my hand to a test because I know later I can just fish them back out and play them uh, actionlessly, which is pretty great. So he 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 make more efficient use of his cards that way. Yeah, I think for his his strengths, like you know, relative to like guardians and other kind of fighter investigators, his strength is that he has some kind of like weird creative. Like he can play like test of will. He can play you catastrophe and oops. He has kind of like ways to not be screwed by like drawing an auto fail when he's trying to kill something. That's yeah. kind of powerful. Like it, he has maybe better card draw options than than some guardians. Relative to other survivors, I think his strength is just that he's like good at something. You know, like he, like he <laughs> well, has he's got a direction. He has like a four in a stat that you can use to do stuff, which is pretty good. You know, yeah, I think his his signature definitely shouldn't be undermined too. If you find that, it can sometimes throw off like the math of an encounter deck to a pretty big degree. Like mm. in in a scenario like the secret name or like when you're versing the huge spaghetti monsters in space, if you take one of those out of the deck and put it in the victory display, that can just be such a great boon, <laughs> honestly, because like if you're playing with four investigators, you're thinking everybody's going through the encounter deck like probably twice in in the time that it takes for you to play a scenario. So getting whatever enemy is the most problematic out of there, or at least one copy of it anyway, is just so great. Yeah, you can really use it to target uh, like a particularly annoying enemy, and it's that can be great, especially when you're replaying a scenario. You might know, like, oh, like this is the worst enemy in the deck. Let's just kill it once so we don't cycle through the deck and draw it again, and that's great. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. If, if you're playing, like, before the Black Throne and you're out in space, just dig a hole in space, put a spaghetti <laughs> monster in it, then shovel some space on top of it to fill in the hole, and uh, it totally makes sense, and there's nothing weird about it. So just do uh, it. Yeah. Hell yeah. And even, even his weakness is, like, his weakness is non-consequential. It's like, uh, it's gonna take an action or two to kill it, but like, yeah. it's otherwise, otherwise it's just like a regular monster. Honestly, it's kind of a strength. <laughs> I think that enemy weaknesses are just always kind of annoying because they're like harder to ignore than most of the other ones. Like, you can be like, okay, this turn I really need to run across the map and engage this thing so to get it off of so-and-so. But then it's like, oh crap, I drew this, and now if I do that I'm gonna like be at risk of dying from going insane. Yeah, maybe, but this he has to deal with it right away, probably. I mean, he could evade it, I guess, but usually he just like hits it twice, and then he gets to play an asset from his discard pile because like it, it gets removed, it gets discarded before his effect triggers, so it doesn't even prevent his effect from when he smacks the ghouls with a shovel. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, no, n- normally it's not that bad. Yeah, I mean, like kind of moving into weaknesses, I think that one weakness with with William Yorick is that if there are not a lot of enemies in the encounter deck. He's just not really going to be doing... He's just going to be kind of a vanilla level 0 to 2 guardian. So I feel like in that context, Graveyard Ghouls even serves as a bonus because you're just sitting there with Bury Them Deep the whole game and then you're just like, wait guys, I got to draw my I gotta draw my Graveyard Ghouls so I can murder something, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I, I would say that um, in the context of flaws for him, so in the Carcosa box, he came with these two cards, the Lantern and the Shovel, that really seemed like they were trying to be like, oh yeah, this is like the, the, the standard William Yorick rig that you're going to want. And those cards, I think, are quite bad, and you just shouldn't play them. The upgraded ones are okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was delighted to see those. They're yeah, they're they're a bit better, but I mean, that's almost a flaw. Is that like I feel like you have to maybe be aware. You have to like be careful about which cards you play with him. Maybe it's like don't use the ones that seem most obvious. <laughs> I guess it's not really a flaw. The ones that are in his picture are, are not great. I mean, yeah, there's some uses <laughs> exactly. For him, but yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> he's got lots of options. They're better, it seems. 
Yeah. I think the reason for that is similar to why Ash can kind of like plateaus at a certain point too, because those items kind of plateau, right? Yeah. You can't you can't expect a a uh, graveyard shovel to do what a upgraded forty five could do for you. Yeah. You know, like it it just won't happen. Sometimes it'll be good and and actionless damage is great. Uh, well, I think that's the lantern, but yeah, it just won't do quite as much as you think it would. Although they are good in glue, and don't they take up hand slots? Which is kind of the they rough, do. Which is yeah, that, they that's do. like the rough part. Uh, so rolls in a group. I think I'd cover that already. Shoot, fight stuff, right? This is main main thing. Bram Deep. He's really like a multiplayer fighter. Like most of the guardians, is kind of what he's probably best at. Could he be decent in solo? I guess. I think. I just think he might have trouble getting clues, but he can play like scene of the crime and stuff. He can play. He has, he has the access to the fail package, just like all the other survivors, and he can flashlight and whatnot. Try to try to clues. He can. And he has access to sharp vision or whatever later in the campaign. Oh yeah. There's also like yeah, there's a it. lot of survivor clue cards now, aren't there? In solo, the fact that he has bury them deep is like maybe he doesn't need to get victory as much because he kind of can like he doesn't have to clear off every location of all the clues as right. badly because he has bury them deep to supplement his. In XP. solo, it's definitely much harder to clear up all the locations and get all the XP than in multiplayer. So. Yeah, certainly it is for William Yorick. Uh, I think he's a really nice like fourth or third pick where he's kind of like a soft fighter because that. That bury them deep is just so nice for for everybody involved. Yeah. It's it's so nice to get a victory out of nowhere. That's just purely beneficial. Yeah, for sure. I think he and he and Tony Morgan have the highest have the best claim to being like the top non guardian fighters. I think. Well, there's one that we're we're going to talk about soon that might become a contender for that uh, later this year. But for now, yeah, I think you're right. His favorite cards for uh, William I mean, York. I mentioned a lot of them already. The fun janky one is Yuka Catastrophe because he can play it. <laughs> yes, uh, he gets discarded and then he passes the test with an Elder Sign and he gets to return a card from this card pop actor's hand, which can be that Yuka Catastrophe. So as long as he has like money, he can just keep playing that over and over again, which is fun. Yeah, which you will have with Drunk then. So yeah, I think uh, the big one for me is Beat Cop Level Two, which is the best Guardian card. And the fact that he can play it because he gets up to level two guardian cards is amazing. Plus, he can like use it up and then replay it from the discard pile. Yeah, so as, as long as he has enough sure. money, he doesn't have to worry about like trying to heal it or something to keep it around. He can just use it up and then replay it. Yeah, I think Dane mentioned earlier like cheap, cheaper weapons can be fun with him, like knife uh, that you can like, use that yeah. gets discarded and then you replay it. Enchanted blade. Yeah chain blade uh he can use and um and then he can also act of desperation those weapons away and get them back which is fun right yeah one kind of unique role that only him and tommy have access to right now actually is kind of like a super tank build where you can get both peter and jess and you can get solemn vow and give it to all your friends and then they can just funnel you damage and horror and then your jess and your peter just heal them off and it's really hilarious and fun. Although you don't really benefit from uh, Yorick's innate ability at all. It's just fun to like never take damage or for the rest of the game. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely like that combo more in Calvin, just for other other non-Calvin nonsense reasons. But yeah, well, it could pull it off So what movie did we pick for, for William? Did we pick a movie about like a struggling actor? It had to be a Shakespeare movie, right? Or, or that seems to be what would fit best with uh, with his whole deal. And uh, we we picked uh, we picked Richard the Third, the Kenneth Branagh '90s adaptation, uh, with like Robert Downey Jr. and a bunch of other famous people in it. I actually haven't seen it, but it's supposed to be really really good. It's like a just a kind of a standard Shakespeare movie with a bunch of really good actors in it. So 
Nice. Probably probably the kind of movie that he would love to be in if he was around in an era where movies existed. I guess they've existed in the nineteen twenties, but you know. Was there was there really no movie about like a struggling actor that like really likes Shakespeare that like has to resort to grave digging? No, there's actually never been a movie like that. Huh. Hey, well, fine. You guys <laughs> literally you're, never. Yeah, the movie extra doesn't exist. All right, yeah. why don't we dive into Calvin Wright, uh, the Haunted? More like Calvin Wrong. Fuck a girl. Season five that came with uh, the Forgotten Age. Uh, he has a zero in all stats, and we were very convinced he was an April Fool's <laughs> joke when he was first announced because I think the article came out like the day before April first. <laughs> um, true story. That's, that's true a strength, story. right? Everybody got a laugh out of it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, his ability is for every horror on him, he gets uh, boosts to his willpower and intellect, and for every damage on him, he gets a boost to his combat and agility. And he has a 6-6 six, six health and sanity, which is actually lower than everybody. He, <laughs> <laughs> he has uh, 0-5 to five survivor cards, and then he has spirit cards, level 0-3, to three, which Ooh. is a, a rare uh, trait that's relevant in deck building, because there's a lot of them. His signature card is Until the End of Time, which... Has two health and two sanity on it, and you can assign direct damage and direct horror to it, which is all it for his weakness, which is the voice of the messenger. Uh, which, when you draw it, you take one direct damage or one direct horror and suffer uh, the corresponding trauma, which sounds bad. Um, but like Calvin's whole playstyle is he like wants to take some damage and horror and like ride on the edge uh, to boost his stats. So, like, Voice of the Messenger can actually, like, help his engine as long as he's not, like, one point away from death. Which can happen sometimes. He's a berserker. So, his strength is that he he can be very versatile, and he can sort of shrug off. Um, he sort of, like, wants to, like, take a monster early on, or take a, a encounter card early on to ramp up his stats. And if he can get himself up to, like, that four damage, four horror, or more, so that he has a four in all his stats... Uh, supplement with like cards he can be pretty good at, at fighting or pretty good at getting clues he just has to get up there and then he has to not die <laughs> <laughs> which which is the fun but he can do it the the fun part i don't know i've played calvin a couple times and uh i don't know if i'm i don't know if i'm good at playing calvin you can ask my friends um but <laughs> he uh he's definitely very fun in that uh you like try to get up to that that knife's edge of like oh do i do i go all the way to five damage and five sanity to have maximum max be at maximum calvin power um, and actually be able to pass tests and stuff, or do you like play it safer? Which is obviously less the coward's way out is to play it safe. <laughs> you go five five all the time, um, and then you remember that Curse of Yig lowers your maximum uh, no <laughs> maximum health. <laughs> and is it damage uh, you can avoid? Test of will, um, test of will, <laughs> or ward. So um, yeah, wards wards a spirit card which he can put in his deck. Strengths. While we're at it, strengths are he can just he can ramp himself up very powerful. He doesn't care as much about taking trauma or when stuff hits him or not, because uh, he likes to build off of that. Uh, his weaknesses, conversely, though, is uh, if he doesn't ramp himself up, <laughs> then he, he can't do anything very, very well. Unless, of course, he has the fail package. Um, I mean, yeah, like even even aside from the fact that he's going to take a couple of scenarios to kind of ramp up to optimal Calvin, uh, whatever. Or I mean, you know, it, it takes like each scenario that goes by, he can get started earlier and earlier because he's accumulated more trauma. But even more generally, I mean, if his strength is that he can get all of his stats really high, his weakness is kind of that he illustrates why having just high stats is like not enough to be a really good deck. Right. Yeah. Because like, I mean, he can he can be really good once he has like fives and everything. But then it's like how does he get more than one clue per action? How does he like do a ton of damage in a single action or like in a single turn? He doesn't have access to a lot of the cards that make those things possible. 
Yeah, well, survivors are definitely better off in the clue department. Like, they have winging it, they have sharp vision, uh, look what I found, yeah, and whatever that new card is that, like, the, the myriad card. Like, that, they have options for, for discovery. getting clues, yeah. The weapons, they struggle more with weapons, although I think that might change when the Stella deck comes out. I feel like there's a couple, like, good combat options there. But you're right, he can get his stacks up high, but he has to supplement that with cards that can benefit from having those high stats to pass tests. Yeah. And he is hilariously vulnerable to some weird random combination of effects, like an encounter card <laughs> that does direct damage or horror when he like doesn't have until the end of timeout or something. Like, y- you know, there's there, it's always like just knowing that some weird thing could happen or you just happen to die because you have like five mental trauma, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like like uh, Ben was saying, uh, Curse of Yig reduces your total health pool by one. Yeah. So if you're riding that knife's edge... No matter if you have a Perseverance in hand, no matter if you have, I don't know, any sort of Guardian card that would help help that out. And just to be clear, if you have five physical trauma and then you get a Curse of Yig and you die because of that, you would then get another physical trauma and you would just be permanently killed, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. Because remember, <laughs> if you ever have trauma equal to the amount of max health or sanity on your card, you're just you're permanently killed. Yeah. Yep, that's true. So just something to keep in mind. That's a funny interaction. No, I've def- I definitely like he he packs in his deck like a couple cards to like help mitigate damage and horror, so he can get up to that that line. But uh, I definitely played him through Forgotten Age and forgot about Curse of Yig, and I was like, oh, I can cancel damage. I could be at five. <laughs> It'll be fine. It's fine. Yeah. They didn't they didn't need me for the rest of that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> well, so rolling a group, I think it's more often a fighter, right? I think you can do both. It's weird. Like, I, I think you're right. Like, I think people tend to build them that way. Like, I think, didn't we do, um, when we did a deck building episode with our friend Tim from I've Got a Plan, didn't he make kind of like a fighty kind of a Calvin deck? He did, yeah. Yeah, I think an astute observation from, from that was that he kind of has to take horror first to get going, and then he takes damage. If he wants to get clues first, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you had a good point, Dane, that there are a fair number of survivor events and stuff that can help you get clues faster. And Survivor is still kind of low on, like, you know, good weapons and things that you can use to do to increase your damage output. I think he can go either way, but I think he it's harder for him to hybridize. If he's in multiplayer, he kind of wants to pick one or the other so that his other cards can be, like, stuff for uh, managing his health and sanity um, or benefiting from it, like, rise of the occasions or whatever. So he might not have as much room to, to do both. In solo, I guess he has to ride the line a little bit more and be more strategic about which cards he picks to to ramp himself up but yeah yeah i I think you can do both though speaking of uh, yeah and for favorite cards uh i feel like we joke a lot that like every pack has one card that at first (laughs) seems like why would anyone ever play this and then we remember that calvin exists there's usually a card that like makes you take damage or horror or something like that and uh you know of course hey that that's good for calvin right there's the spirit cards like um i'll see you in hell and the equivalent one for clues that Ghastly are, Revelation. Yeah, Revelation. that are both spirit cards, which are like, hey, sure, I'll take some drama. <laughs> things <laughs> things like that. Things that soak stuff, right? So things like um, uh, Jessica Hyde or Peter Sylvester, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Solemn Vow is also extremely good. Yeah, Solemn Vow is great to help him ramp up. Um, like, you're playing with a mystic that has arcane researches. You're like, oh, here's a, here's a Solemn Vow. Why don't you just give me that sweet, sweet, delicious horror that you have sitting on you? And I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to it for you, you know? <laughs> And as you collect trauma, as the campaign goes on, you maybe like swap out some of those cards for things that save you from sudden death. 
right? Like you, you like you <laughs> yep. start wanting yeah. to have a lot of cards that let you take damage and horror, and then you transition it to having more and more cards that like soak or prevent damage or horror because you're like right on that line. Yeah, things like perseverance, devil's luck, those kinds of things. Um, you mentioned it before, Dan. Five of Pentacles, which I literally had to uh, type into the search to find, <laughs> is his card. I think N- no other investigator benefits as much as Galvin does from it. No one else should ever play that card. It lets you go to the <laughs> higher, the higher threshold of six and six in all your stats, exactly, without dying immediately, <laughs> uh, which is technically even more risky because uh, what if something trashes that that card somehow? <laughs> yep. But Really helps you get to maximum Calvin. Let's not think about that right now. You can even do nonsense. You can do nonsense with Anna and get two of them down. Mm. Just think about that. Seven in all stats. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, but other cards that are good for him are ones that are like, oh, uh, if this test is like too higher than your base skill, you can play this card, like Rise of the Occasion. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Any anything that boosts his base stats are usually like really crazy, like. The cats. I forgot the the name. Trial by fire. Will to survive and stuff. Trial by fire or will to survive. Or the cats, yeah. Because he still benefits from his passive and can go get really high. Basically so. the same cards that are good in Preston and, to a lesser extent, Patrice that we'll talk about later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what uh, what movie do we have for Calvin? We were looking for a movie about somebody that just gets beat the heck up and uh, somehow struggles through it nonetheless. And we went with uh, The Revenant from hey. 2015, I think, which is a movie where... Uh, Leo DiCaprio like hangs out in Canada collecting pelts or something for like 20 minutes and then a bear like absolutely wrecks his ass for like 10 minutes <laughs> and uh, he somehow survives and the rest of the movie is him like mostly dead on account of the bear kind of stumbling through the freezing cold Canadian wilderness trying to kill Tom Hardy so I don't know that seems kind of Calvin-esque right yeah his whole deal is he's like on the edge of death and then he like continues to fight to survive um, yeah he kind of grits his teeth and gets through it and he gets stronger. Yeah. 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 You know, I was going to advocate for Die Hard because it's a movie I've, you know, a movie people have heard of. Definitely uh, a great movie. Except for Dane, who's never seen it for some reason. I mean, The Re- the Revenant like almost won the Oscar a few years ago. Like That was a fairly well-known movie. I thought it did. I thought that was like Leo's first Oscar and only Oscar. Leo that won the Oscar. He, he won Best Actor, I think. I recall oh, there gotcha, being gotcha, yeah. a lot of memes about Leo trying to win an Oscar. Did he not win it for Revenant? I, th- I thought he did. I don't know. I, don't remember I thought that. he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. I don't yeah. know. Nobody cares. Dane, why don't you lead us into the next one? The next investigator is Rita Young, the athlete. So Rita's ability is that after she evades an enemy, she can either deal it one damage or move to a connected location once per round. She's got a really big health pool of nine, kind of bad sanity pool of five. Her biggest attraction, though, she's got trick cards, level zero to three, and she has five in her agility stat. Uh, which is unprecedented at this point, right? We were really hoping it would be in a rogue, but hey, we got it, and it's in Rita. So she does have a signature card called I'm Done Running. Essentially, you just play it, and then it engages everybody at your location, so anybody that you've evaded comes running at you again. And then for the remainder of your turn, uh, when you evade an enemy, instead of exhausting, you can just deal it damage. So you can just wail on a bunch of enemies if there are a whole bunch that you left uh, evaded a little while ago. Her weakness is called Hoods. It's extremely bad for her. Every single time I've gotten it, it's it's completely like wrecked my plans for the immediate future. It is a three health enemy that has alert and hunter, and then after you evade it, it attacks you. So there's like almost no way unless you're trying to evade it or kill it via combat that you can get out unscathed from them, which is thematic and cool. It's just, it's really annoying to deal with. 
Yeah, because Rita relies on being able to evade to like ping for damage. Uh, yeah, lot, yeah, exactly. So strengths. I recently played Rita a lot. I had a friend actually uh, who's also named Dan. Uh, who came over and played Rita before the whole pandemic and, and horribleness of this year happened and used a, some interesting survivor cards in a really unique way to bolster Rita's weaknesses into being strengths, I think. That doesn't sound right. Her strength is that I think she can get a lot of action compressions with her ability. If she's not using it to deal, deal damage, she can obviously move to another location, which is, I think, what Wendy does in Elder Tour or something, right? But anyway, she has a lot of action compression there. Her agility, incredibly good. She can manage enemies pretty well without necessarily having to kill them, or she can kill them slowly over time, kind of prime them for guardians later to go murder them or something. Trick cards, there aren't a lot of them, but the ones that are there, Pocket Sand, I can I can never remember its name, uh, but Pocket Sand will help. Uh, you can, it, it's a fight action that you can, Pocket if you succeed sense. by two, you can dodge <laughs> An enemy. I mean, they're most most tricks are already survivor cards, right? That's kind of the problem with that. That's that's the difficulty. But she can use some things that kind of help leverage her affinity for evading in rogue stuff. Yeah, I mean, when when I think about um, strengths for her is kind of hard. But I think like in solo, like just being able to like evade and keep moving and just like leave enemies behind a lot. Like if you can manage to pick up clues along the way, which is tough for her, but like she does have some ways to do it. You know, that, that can be a pretty good skill to have in solo. Yeah, exactly. Weaknesses. However, I think that without having a good way to finish off an enemy after dealing it a damage and, and kind of forgetting about it, they keep coming back and there are more and more of them as you slightly wound enemies so it sometimes gets really hard and you start needing those uh cards like those cards that allow you to exhaust multiple enemies when you evade one you start needing those or to to find a definite solution for your growing problem right because it's kind of like uh you know like like finn is another kind of evasion focused investigator but like finn has finn has four intellects right like finn is much better at getting clues with Rita, right. it's like she's, you know, probably better at evading than Finn, arguably, but with, you know, no real ability or much lower ability to pick up clues. So it's kind of like only half of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. And her ability can be kind of rough. Like if she, it, it's unfortunately it's like once per round, except when you draw the Elder Sign. Um, just because it's, even when you draw the Elder Sign, actually, it's not often that you'll trigger it. You can trigger it more than twice, which is kind of... Kind of weak. I really feel like they could have just made that as many times per round as you want, and she would still be not an overpowered investigator at all. Yeah. And then they maybe could have given her a more interesting signature card, too. Yeah, well, I mean, she could sit on a location and, like, evade three times every turn to slowly kill three enemies. Seems fine. That's, That's fine. Yeah, It's not going to break the game. Yeah. Or she could do something where she evades three enemies in a line and like runs across the map maybe that's what they're worried about i think that that's probably more akin to one of her greater strengths uh track shoes is a is a card that highly synergizes with her with it comes drawing thin uh in one action you could potentially exhaust evade an enemy move to a connecting location free and then trigger track shoes move to another location for free also triggering drawing thin getting a whole bunch of cards and or resources so that like specific interaction is pretty good but other than that uh i can't see that being an issue yeah she can definitely be very mobile i don't know i i think she's hard to to build around just like high agility is like harder to utilize i think than the other stats yeah great forgotten age <laughs> 
If you go anywhere, go there. Yeah. Evasion's definitely become more and more relevant as the campaigns go on, but... Yeah. Yeah, her her role... Uh, and it's better in solo, obviously. I mean, but... I, I think the fact that she has sort of limited clue potential, to me, means that she would be more of, like, a, a multiplayer-focused. And, and I, like, I think if I had to play a Rita deck, I would probably play, like, Bo Rita as, like, a fighter in, like, a multiplayer game. That yeah. Is like, that's the thing that really pops out to me. You can definitely do other stuff, but that's, like, the one that I would choose if I had to. Yeah, for sure. Bo Rita's kind of, can be kind of slow with her, though, just because she only has three actions. She doesn't have a way to extra actions, so, like, reloading the bow can be pain. Unlike Windy, who has, like, access to Leo and Yeah, stuff. I mean, it's like, still not great, but it's, like, you know. So as far as uh, favorite cards, I mentioned Track Shoes great card there for her waylay is a great card to just instantly deal with enemies you're probably going to succeed those those kinds of tests pocket sand which i still can't remember the name of somebody will somebody will post it and be like hey how can't how can't you remember this one card that i really wanted to give a huge shout out though tennessee sour mash upgraded uh survivor version when you bonk somebody over the head with it uh it actually lets you evade them so you kind of get an extra damage out of it in that way. Hmm. You get like plus three to your uh, combat, which is cool. So you're at a six, and then you can also use it to deal an extra damage in one action. So it's kind of like a soft, vicious blow sort of effect, which is neat. We should mention again that there are a lot of cards that would be favorite cards for her if she was allowed to play them. So there's a lot of like uh, rogue cards that <laughs> would help her a lot like pickpocketing but she can't play them. pretty pretty much the whole rug pool yeah. rita would rita to me is a really big candidate for if they wanted to do another um like parallel uh investigator if they wanted to do yes. like alternate rita that maybe has like a better ability and can play like level two rogue cards or something that would be pretty cool yeah yeah i think their deck building is not great yeah it's probably <laughs> should be filed into weaknesses i still have no idea what pocket sand is i have no idea what Dan's talking about <laughs> don't, don't worry I've been about distracted it. trying to search for it on narco dd while we talk but i have no idea it's called cheap shot cheap shot oh what does that have to do with sand the movie <laughs> the movie that we picked for rita was marathon man because it's a it's a movie about a person that runs for fun like an athlete, but then also gets uh, drawn into a spooky, scary uh, sort of situation. Uh, and, and in the case of Marathon Man, it's like sort of crime spy stuff and not like spooky supernatural stuff, but, eh, you know, close enough. What's fun about Marathon Man is it came out in the 70s, which I think was like the very beginning of the era where people just like would run as like a hobby to like be in shape and have like a thing to do. And uh, so the movie has this kind of point of view of like, oh, it's so weird that this guy just like runs really long distances. And today it's like, feels like everybody except me does that. So <laughs> <laughs> cool movie. It was on Netflix for a while. I'm not sure if it still is. So maybe check it out. Cool. The next survivor is Patrice Hathaway, the violinist. Patrice is a uh, performer. She has a very unique ability where her max hand size is reduced by three, uh, which is bad. But during each upkeep phase, instead of drawing one card, you discard all non-weakness cards in your hand and draw up until you have five cards in hand. Uh, she's got seven health, seven sanity. Great. Uh, her stats are less than desirable, though she has a four in will. Patrice is really unique because she has the ability to kind of go through her deck multiple times, and we'll get into that. Her deck size is a little atypical because she has 42 cards in her deck, so that's a lot more than most investigators. But she'll get chill through it pretty pretty easily. She has 0 to 2 Mystic cards, as well as 0 to 5 Survivor cards, and 0 to 5 uh, in, in Neutral. Her signature card is her violin, Patrice's violin. Essentially, you can fast action to choose and discard a card from your hand, exhausting it to get a resource or a card, and you can actually give that to any investigator at your location. Her weakness 
is the source of a lot of FAQs and rules updates. It is a Watcher from the Other Dimension. It is a hidden enemy weakness that stays in your hand, and you can fight it or evade it while it's in your hand. If you succeed, you discard it. If you fail, you actually spawn it engaged with you. It's got five uh, combat, five agility, and two health. And it does three points of physical damage, which is a lot. And then you remember you probably have Jess or something that, that can just like tank it for wherever, how many ever turns. Um, if you get to the end of your deck, it'll hit you out of out of pure spite. The bonked from outer space. <laughs> exactly. It bonked from space. Strengths? Patrice gets through her deck more than any other investigator. That is, the consistency that comes along with that is absolutely bonkers. And uh, her ability to discard cards for resources and things is perfect. It's great. Uh, Mystic cards, obviously making her very versatile in the way of using Sixth Sense, Shriveling, things like that to deal with enemies, access to Ward of Protection. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a a really cool uh, mechanic she has where you want to have cards in your deck that you can either commit or uh, use up on whatever turn you draw them. So you're like, because you know, like, oh, I'm not going to be able to use these cards anyway. I might as well commit them to my test or somebody else's test or discard them to cornered or some other effect. Exactly. Which right. makes her makes her want to use cards that are more versatile and uh, are cheaper, too, as well. And I... But. I think access to the Mystic card pool is also a pretty good strength for her because it just gives her more options for, you know, like we've seen some of these like Calvin who, you know, their kind of thing is they're, they're going to be able to like pass tests, but they maybe lack some ways to like leverage that. And Patrice, because she has Mystic cards, she can play things like Sixth Sense or, you know, she can play, um, I, I guess that's not, like Rite of Seeking is maybe a little better simple, but she can play like things that let her do more make her actions more efficient which some of these characters can't do yeah exactly yeah weaknesses or or flaws she's very reliant on having cards out to be able to do stuff um or having cards in hand she gets them very quickly so i don't know if that's actually a weakness so i guess her biggest weakness here is kind of ties in with her strength in that she has to use the things that she gets on the turn that they happen yeah that has when i played with patrice that was my number one gripe was that every single time I needed to basically either take actions to play cards or I just don't get to use them. And I'll, and I'll have to get them in like five or so turns when I cycle through my deck again. Yeah. It, it feels like a, so quick, quick aside, when we first talked about Patrice, when uh, she was first released, I think I said like, Oh yeah, d- you probably don't even have to play cornered because you just make most of your cards be committable and you like, don't really need it. That's totally wrong. You absolutely need cornered. <laughs> Play cornered. Play cornered. <laughs> but like, so Patrice with like two cornered's out is very, very strong. But that's the difficulty with her is like, even drawing five cards a turn, if, if the cornered's are near the bottom of your deck, you're in rough shape until you find them. And then you absolutely have to play them when you get them. Like the turn where you draw a cornered or the violin, you like have to play it regardless of whatever else is going on. Even if there's like a big enemy on you that no one can help you with, et cetera, et cetera. That's like pretty, it's very swingy. Like you, if, if you get the cards that you need at a convenient time, she's great. If you don't, it can be kind of a rough scenario. Yeah. Speaking of swingy, her role as an investigator in a team, Fire Axe. <laughs> Fire Axe is great on Patrice, I think. I used it to great effect. Um, she can also obviously make use of Mystic cards, so she can go either way. She has a lot to draw from, drawn to the flame, read the signs, all those kinds of things for investigating. But she also has a lot to draw from for combat, shriveling, fire axe, being able to uh, cornered, 
plus four every turn fire axe just like three times in a row is is pretty fantastic yeah just because she the double cornered uh i mean other stars have access to that too but they're less likely to care about they're more likely to care about discarding cards so she's like oh i'll just discard these cards whatever they're all courages yeah being able to double cornered tests if you have a six is great yeah for sure yeah and then uh so favorite cards we've already talked about so cornered definitely um i think uh, like you guys were saying cards that kind of like have a marginal benefit that in most characters wouldn't really be worth it but with patrice you know you have to play 42 cards so that expands your how many cards you're going to play a little bit. So maybe you play cards that just, uh, you know, have sort of good icons on them and are like, if I get the right moment to play this, it'd be super cool. If not, this is just good to commit to things. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cards that she wants to get down. Absolutely. 100% cornered. Moonstone is great because it's an actionless play. Definitely. Last chance is a card that's really good for her. After you've cornered away your most of your hand, you can actually use last chance, and it just gives you straight up five question mark symbols, five wild symbols, rather. And she's just able to bust out the last test with that really strong. One card that I used that, that Ben actually had shown me at the Keeper's Nightmare a while ago uh, was Recall the Feature. I'd never used the card before. It was just kind of sitting in, in my binder for a long time. I try to use it in every single Mystic deck now because it's so much fun. It really helps account for like the minus five, all of the worst tokens in the bag that sometimes Corner just can't get over the hurdle of. And you're basically just not scared of anything except for the auto-fail at that point. I like it on Patrice particularly because it's harder for her to use the Mystic spells. Yeah. Because she might not have money to play them when she draws them. So she's it's not as desirable to use them. So it's a good... Arcane slot for her, I think. And uh, Fire Axe, I think, Dane mentioned, is definitely good for her. And if you're playing that, um, Madame LeBranche is a really good companion to that. I, I had a friend who was playing Patrice recently, and you have the, the Violin and Madame LeBranche and the Fire Axe. So you go broke with Fire Axe, then you get one money from Madame LeBranche and go broke again, and then you get one money from the Violin, and then you go broke again. So you get to, you know, be broke three different times. Yeah, no, it's actually a really good point. Uh, Forbidden Knowledge adds even just adds to that. Yeah, that too. Especially if you have Peter Sylvester to put the horror on. Yeah. She also wants to make sure she has a way to evade something, because it's just the easiest way to deal with her weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but once she has cornered and stuff going, she's usually fine. But uh, she did she like the cats? I can't remember. Yeah. I, I tried the cats on her. I don't remember liking them. I tried the cats on her, and it was like, eh, it was all right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll find the cat you want fast, but maybe she doesn't really need that static bonus as much. Yeah. So. I mean, cats are inherently awesome, so I say just play them all the time. But, but you know, maybe maybe not so much for Patrice's thing. <laughs> Dane, what a, movie? Yeah, what movie did we pick for Patrice? We picked The Perfection. Have you, I thought you watched this. Why did you not seen this? No. Why did we pick this? <laughs> this is this is yours, Dan. I I read about it. I haven't actually seen it because uh, it's probably too scary for me. But uh, I I thought you watched this, or we're going to watch it. Uh, it's a kind of psychological thriller about uh, a lady that plays a violin or other stringed instrument. And, uh, you know, it's got some, it's got some kind of, some kind of spooky stuff going on in it. So it seemed like maybe a sort of Patrice appropriate film. Yeah. She's a cellist, I think. Um, the main character is a cellist who attends a really prestigious school and really spooky things start happening after a questionable night on the town. There you go. It's on Netflix, right? It's a Netflix original, I think. Oh, is it? Hmm. Neato. Let's, let's move on to the last last survivor. Dope. Uh, Silas Marsh, the sailor. So Silas was released in a novella 
last year at some point or four five years ago who knows who knows how time works novella which is an italian word that means very large and expensive box for cards to come in <laughs> yeah um uh but i think he's going to be uh featured in insmith which will come out at some point in the future hey the world doesn't end by that after times um uh, maybe october we'll see i don't know so uh silas is um two two four four so he leans towards uh dealing with enemies his ability is after he reveals the chaos token during a skill test he can return a skill command to this to his hand once per round his deck building is uh zero to five survivor and innate skills level zero to two his signature that came in the novella is nautical prowess which is a skill card that he can commit basically to any test and if a chaos token or the negative modifier is revealed during the test he draws a card or you can give two extra will symbols to Nautical Prowess. The wording on this is important because he can, if he pulls this Nautical Prowess back, he can still gain the benefit of drawing the card if he still passes the test. Or no, uh, regardless if he passes, if he passes or fails, actually, he can pull back his ability and still draw a card. And then his weakness is Dreams of the Deep, which is a a skill weakness. Was this the first skill weakness we saw? I think so, right? It's been a couple since then, but this might have been the first one. Yeah, sounds right. It has two effectively negative will icons on it. They subtract from musical pile instead of adding to it. If you commit it to a test and the test fails, it goes back in your hand. And then at the end of every turn, uh, if it is in your hand, you reveal it and you take two damage, similar to like uh, Agnes's weakness. Right. So you want to try to get rid of it, but it makes it harder to pass a test you're trying to get rid of it on. Of course, you can commit it to one of your friends that's like testing it. Like if you have a rogue friend that's trying to commit a bunch of cards because they want to pass by two or some nonsense, you just commit to that because it'll pass anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> So that works out pretty well. Uh, yeah, so Silas, uh, his strengths are he's definitely very combat-oriented, um, just because the stats are a 4-4 uh, in combat and agility. Uh, so he can really lean to that. He can decide how he wants to deal with enemies, given the situation, um, just because he's not like heavy in one or the other, compared to like York or um, Rita. And then having the innate skill cards with his ability... His, uh, his ability is very strong because it lets him overcommit safely. So, like, if he wants to be, like, uh, like plus two is, like, good enough on standard, or maybe plus three on hard or something, he, he could still commit to be at plus four or plus five, and then you ink back whatever card he committed uh, if he draws, like, a low number token, which is very good. So it makes him uh, like to use skill cards and be pretty consistent in passing tests. You can even do the opposite, right? If you're using the fail package, if you're going to try to, like, fail with drawing thin and commit a take heart, and then you somehow draw the elder sign, you can, like, yoink back the take heart and use it again later. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it gives you protection against take heart as well, which is great. And his ability is also weird because there's a couple innate cards that, like, their effect applies when you commit it. Like, it, it creates a, I'm not sure the right term, delayed effect or maybe lasting effect. Delayed effect, maybe. And it means that if you pull the card back, you still benefit from, like, so that applies to, like, nautical prowess. That applies to um, defiance is, like, a card. I, defiance 2 I like to use in him because you can yunk it back and still cancel whatever the spooky symbol is. There's one or two other ones too, um, but that's if we get, especially if we get more of cards like that, that can be pretty fun for him. Yeah, yeah. Weaknesses definitely struggles more with investigating, and he he does have the lowest will of any survivor, I guess, other than Calvin. But Calvin can ramp his up more easily. Right. Um, so he's a little bit more vulnerable to scary things. The counter deck because he also he also has low sanity, sanity of five. Yeah, the, the combination of those two is really scary. Like you would think, oh, Silas could be really good in Forgotten Age because. You can either you can fight the snakes that don't have vengeance. You can evade the snakes that do have vengeance, etc. And that's kind of true. But remember that, like Forgotten Age, there's a lot of horror bouncing around that's hard to avoid. You know, like he's, yeah. he's just on the verge of death pretty quick. 
he does have access to like Peter and cherished keepsake and other stuff that helps mitigate the horror, but it's definitely something you need to consider when you're uh, playing him. The other really big weakness he has is that Yorick and all the guardians, again, we were talking about kind of having a lasting effect in combat by virtue of just getting better and better weapons. Silas, for a really long time, only had access to, like, baseball bat, fire axe. It was only until the Circle Undone came when he actually got uh, Meat Cleaver, which was kind of a big boon for him because for a long time he just kind of had fire axes in his deck and, like, you just kind of hope you get them. But now he has a little bit more there, but even still, it's tough to find weapons that can have that lasting effect just like uh, Guardian weapons can, um, or Mystic spells for that matter. That I would consider for weakness because as the campaign scales, he might not do as well later. Although his affinity for both evading and combat kind of makes up for it. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, like the card that he's really missing, because yeah, I think his limited card pool is is a flaw. Um, not being able to play like Vicious Blow is, is a big yeah. deal. Like that's such a good card for Guardian. Same with like Beat Cop. Like good fighter decks you have a lot of ways to like do ping or like do an extra damage when you need to to kind of like kill something very quickly and he really is limited in his ability to do that yeah i think i think with the stella deck they're adding more like combat based weapons to survivor which will probably help them out a lot yeah but I mean, even like fire axe and knee cleaver are great i think when he first came out i think i got i started playing him and immediately got time one brand <laughs> so that he could have a consistent weapon to hit stuff with yeah i mean it Ideally, when uh, when his actual investigator card comes out, we got kind of a sneak preview here. He has a sea change harpoon and a Silas's net, so he's got two signature cards that are hopefully going to be coming here soon. So maybe those will help point him in a better direction and, and be on par with the other fighters. Yeah, yeah, I'm guessing those will help him with the combat aspect, similar to like how Roland's actual cards are a little more combat focused, but his Novilla cards were more clue focused. Yeah, yeah, I'm guessing that those will be like a fight and evade card. But who knows? We'll find out eventually in the near future or far distant future <laughs> who knows so rolls yeah i think we mentioned he's mainly an enemy handler i think yeah but he's a fighter man and probably in multiplayer i think he would have a tougher time in solo probably although maybe you could do it yeah he has access to all the standard survivor cards but the lower willpower and he has to elect which most of the survivors have but just drink some booze you landlubber <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. most of them, like, aside from, like, aside from Rita, I think, yeah, most of them have some way to get clues other than their intellect, and he really doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, fighter guy. Yeah. Pretty straightforward, I think. We talked about a lot of cards already that he likes. Yeah, I think, like, Defiance is, like, the the, the kind of surprising one that it is definitely true for a Number one. Card. I think that's his number one, right? Yeah, and I, I think just in general, yeah, like, skill cards, like, you, you want to just play more skill cards with him than you normally would. And, uh, yeah, you also maybe want to play cards that are going to protect you from going insane. Yeah. Time Warren Brand is actually a pretty good one. I know that, I think it was you that ran Silas, uh, Ben, a while ago. That seemed to kind of fill out that need for a heavier hitting weapon. Yeah. Um, daring. That was one of the cards. You can commit Daring and you still get to draw the card even if you don't get back. It's another one of the cards that are great for him. That's pretty great. I didn't even know that. That's amazing. It's, yeah, I, I knew there was one I was forgetting. Um, that one's great for him. Uh, he also he also can get he can get fearlesses if he wants to try to heal horror or whatever. I don't know if he does will test though. I guess, but Nate actually does actually have cards, unlike some other traits that <laughs> tricks <laughs> tricks like, oh, yeah. yeah tricks. Like, oh, cool five five extra cards, none of, none of which are good. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, so what movie did we pick for Mister Silas? 
we picked a really, really great movie. Um, Silas is Australian, right? I think that's a, that's his background. So, uh, the saltiest we picked a, well, he starts in Australia and Eldritch Horror. So. <laughs> we, we picked <laughs> a salty seagoing film starring everyone's favorite Australian Russell Crowe called Mastered Commander, the far side of the world, which is a really, really, really great movie about some English guys in a boat in the 19th century sailing around and fighting people and dealing with the elements and uh really really good movie russell crowe's really good in it i think if they were going to make a silas movie they would probably cast russell crowe he's getting a little bit old now but maybe you know go go back in time five or ten years i think of silas marsh i think of, there's that one like uh montage from or joke from like south park that's like russell crowe just running, fighting around just the world boating around the world and and punching people yep. like, yeah that's that's what silas <laughs> that's is. silas and his boat tugger yeah no that's all, that, i also always think of that it's uh that's that's pretty much silas in a nutshell he just seems belligerent you know he just seems like a guy that would love to get into fights yeah <laughs> scrappy dog yeah so uh that, that's it for survivors that are released i know we have real styles coming up in stella which we'll talk about when they come out but yeah those are the seven out so far that's really it with all that said we could finally wrap this episode and series up listeners how do you feel about the survivors of arkham which of these movies are you going to check out if you have any thoughts on the investigator of arkham i know that we love doing this series and we'd love to hear your ideas and potential movie picks for the future investigators send us your thoughts on Facebook, Reddit, wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at comments at mur.fm. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. So the next investigator up, Patrice Hathaway. Would you would you like to try that again? <laughs> Let me start that again <laughs> without the list. Patrice Hathaway. So the next investigator here is Patrice Hathaway. <laughs> Take three. <All> right. <laughs> the next investigator. Seventh time's the charm.